Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. It's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of Brew Strong. Today, uh, my guest is uh, Scott Janish. And you may have heard of him from uh, scottjanish.com, where he's uh, been blogging and experimenting about uh, hops and hoppy beers and uh, providing a ton of great information to us all uh, about um, uh, hops through his uh, really great book, uh, the new IPA. It's all about really the, the modern techniques that everybody's using to get ultra hoppy, uh, beers, whether they be the, the more bitter, you know, dry West coast style or the uh, more juicy, uh, East coast, new England style. He's got a ton of information on it. It's been really, really useful. It's one of, one of my most recent, uh, favorite books, uh, that I've come across. Scott, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, first of all, that just it's cool to uh, to hear you say that. I mean, I've been, been a longtime fan of yours, both as as a writer and a, as a podcaster. So it's cool to to hear that you even uh, know of the book, and and it's it's a thrill to, to be on the on your podcast. But um, but a little bit about myself. Let's see. I mean, I'm uh, been beer blogging for probably about five or six years. Um, mostly focused on um, looking into the academic papers out there. There's this huge world of, of beer research that I think um, largely goes unnoticed a lot of times. And so I, once I stumbled across that, I was just kind of hooked and um, started really reading through uh, academic papers to see, you know, to inspire new brewing ideas or things to test or, um, and started uh, writing blog posts to kind of like summarize what I, what I would, uh, um, come across and read in the in these papers and then usually try to brew a, a batch or something to test out the research and um, and so that that progression of, of writing eventually led to uh, working on the book which uh, eventually led to me uh, meeting and becoming good friends with Michael Tomsmeyer who is a now a, my business partner at, at Sapwood Cellars in, in Columbia Maryland we I 
went over to his house. We're both in the DC area to talk about um, getting his opinions on writing a book is, you know, is it worth it? Should I even go down this route? <laughs> we decided we should probably just start a brewery. So, so in, in a lot of ways, it's, so, you, so you made lots of bad decisions is what you're saying. Yeah. That was a, uh, that night was a, uh, yeah. Two years of writing a book and now seven years of uh, at least seven years of a lease. So, yeah. Maybe, maybe it was a bad decision. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I tell people that want to open breweries, write books. It's like, well, it's a ton of work. doesn't really pay. And then you feel good about it anyways. If you enjoy doing it, then, you know, it doesn't matter what you're getting paid. Yeah, I agree 100%. And for me, it was, it was part of the book. The back part of it was just, you know, I was going around the, the country interviewing, you know, brewers that I really respected and looked up to. And they they just let they would tell me their whole process and let me document it. And so mm -hmm. you know, that was fun to include in the book, but it helped, you know, Mike and I, as we we're starting a brewery, you know, yeah, I noticed you never stopped by here and asked me, you know, <laughs> uh, only, time. only the brewers you respected. Yes. I understand. <laughs> I, I understand. Only. I didn't say only. I understand. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, it, you're right. I mean, it's a lot of work to, to do a book. For me, it took about two years and it was mostly on mm -hmm. free time. And then also at the same time, I'm trying to start up the brewery. So that slowed things down quite a bit, but um, eventually just, just had to get it out there and publish it and say it's, it's good enough. I, I actually right. was trying to get it uh, published through um, brewing publications, but they, they decided not to, to go through with it. And since I was already so far along, I was like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to. They passed on it. They passed on a good one. I mean, uh, I, I think everybody's getting that book, and, and everybody should. Do I have my copy here? Uh, I don't have my copy here. It must be at home. So the nerve-wracking thing is when you're doing interviews, and maybe you went through this too, like some people like read a specific part of the book, and you're like, God, I wrote that two years ago, man. I don't remember. Uh, right. <laughs> no, people will ask me. They're like, so, uh, you know, this, this sentence here, and it's like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess I wrote it. I'm not sure what it means now. <laughs> you know. I like read my own book before I interview. Right. There's been a lot of pints since, since I wrote that. Um, yeah. Well, and I think you're getting close to, you know, needing to do a second book here, a, a version two, um, uh, with all the new information that's coming out about hops and all the uh, new great information you're putting on your website. Everybody should... Uh, have bookmarked uh, scottjanish.com for the, uh, you know, if you're interested in hops and using hops, because you, you just keep piling on good information after good information. Seriously. I, I have your, your site bookmarked. Um, I thought one of your neat uh, things you got on there is like a database of the hop oils, uh, hop compounds, and uh, you can kind of sort by which one, which hop has the most of each uh, yeah. kind of compound. I found that really useful and interesting, you know, as I'm trying to select hops for something or trying to uh, um, dial in a, a beer to get certain flavors. So I thought yeah, that that was really useful. I'd love to expand that at some point if I can get my hands on more, um, more, because when I put that together, mm -hmm. really the focus is on only a handful of, of compounds, but now more and more, you know, research gets put into hoppy beers in particular, hazy hoppy beers. That was really never a thing before. So most of the research, only in the last couple of years has there been a couple of studies specifically on, you know, hazy IPAs. It's right. Most, most of the research that's in, in the book is really like um, trying to piece together things that might explain why hazy beers are hazy or ways to get more hop flavor in there. So 
you're right. I mean, it's it every every uh, you know quarter. There's usually some more papers put out on you know whether it's um, brewing science or master brewers, and and so it's it's fun that the hopefully brewers can keep kind of leading where they study because that's you know a lot of these. I don't think a lot of them that are doing the research are actually brewers themselves. So it's it's good to have everyone mm-hmm. kind of involved. Right, right. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. And one of the things on your website that really uh, drew my attention and I found fascinating was one about uh, you know the uh, the argument for cold dry hopping. Uh, I read through that and I thought you know that's something that a lot of people should consider trying, or at least you know they should read the the information that you provided. You know, first off. What is it exactly you mean by cold dry hopping? Yeah, um, this is a, a, I think I, yeah, I tried to make a, a case for a cold dry hopping in the post because mm-hmm. I have any skin in the game in it, but it just seemed like all the, uh, the different papers I was reading pointing towards there being benefits to um, cold dry hopping. And so, you know, typically, at least in, for myself, when I was um, you know, homebrewing, I would usually just dry hop at the, at the tail end of fermentation and, usually the last couple of days or whatever fermentation you, that's when you're at your highest temperature. So, you know, maybe right. 68 to, you know, 68 to 72, 74 degrees, depending on your yeast or whatever. And that's yeah. when you dry hop. Um, and so after, you know, doing some research and, and talking to other commercial brewers, I found out, you know, a lot of people were doing it at what they call, you know, soft crashing temperatures. So that's when you're dropping the tank to about 58 degrees. Mm-hmm. 58, 62, around in there. Right, right. That's what we were doing. To, get used to, 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 you know, flock out a little bit. And mm-hmm. then usually we try to get the yeast out of the beer and then dry hop. Yeah. Uh, so that, for me, that, cold dry hopping is anywhere from, you know, 40 degrees to, to 58 degrees. Okay, 48 to 50, 40 to 58. Yeah, and it's, I mean, there's a, you know, we can kind of go through some of the reasons why I, why I, we experiment with that. Um, mm-hmm. But the main thing is, you know, why do you dry hop, right? You're just trying to get, you know, the, the, the fruity compounds out of those hops um, through extraction. And so, you know, if you can get, you know, most of the research is pointing towards extraction happening pretty quick, um, especially mm-hmm. on small scale. And especially if you're agitating or recirking um, the hops. And so if you, you know, if you're getting, some papers, it's little as a few hours, six hours if you're recirking to mm-hmm. 24 hours is generally a, seems like a safer target for me. And then I think the, the bigger scale, um, Peter Wolf has done a lot of re- uh, research on this. Um, and he seems, to, you know, the, the bigger the batches, the kind of slower that um, extraction might be. So, you know, homebrewers might be getting it a day or two and, or even less, um, especially if you're agitating it and, you know, the bigger the, the tank means mm-hmm. it down a couple of days. So. Well, I've always thought, you know, the, the cylindroconical fermenters that we use uh, are, are kind of a negative because if the hops fall down into the bottom of that cone, you really only have the surface that's, that's kind of active of the hops unless you're recirculating. And same thing goes for yeast. You're really only uh, getting... Uh, um, you know, activity from the, the top of the yeast, you know, the, the rest of the cone of the yeast is getting nothing. Whereas a home brewer, um, you know, the, uh, the, the bottom of carboy is very flat and broad. And I think that helps. Plus you can just kind of rock that, 
that carboy and uh, stir up the hops and, uh, you know, and stir up the yeast and get more activity out of it. Could I ask you also to uh, move a little closer to your mic? You're a little, still a little yeah, soft. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I think uh, there is a big difference between uh, large and small breweries. And I, I've always thought homebrewers have the advantage over, over commercial brewers. And the, the funny thing is most homebrewers, when you start, you think, oh, those commercial brewers, they got all the equipment, they got all that stuff. And it's like, eh, you actually have an advantage. I'll tell you what, um, I want to I want to talk about uh, home brewing and who has the advantage and who gives people the advantage. It's my good friend John Blickman, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, John, I don't have you ever met John Blickman? I haven't. Oh, you should. He's he's a he's a sweetheart of a person. He's a brilliant engineer and just a, a brilliant mind. You know, when when it comes to discussing anything, uh, he's he's. Uh, he is just just wonderful. So uh, uh, if you get a chance to, to, to meet him, you'll enjoy it. He is always making great equipment, and not just for you know home brewers, but for professional brewers now. You know, if you need a small scale uh, microbrewery, uh, he's providing it as well. Again, the same attention to detail and quality that you're going to find in all the Blickman engineering products. So check him out. He's been paying for the show for the past 12, 13, 14. How, I, I'm not sure what year it is. So I'm not sure how many years he's been paying for it, but uh, he deserves you sending him an email at feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. If you could do that for me and tell him how much you appreciate that he's still paying for the show uh, so you can listen to it for free, that would be greatly appreciated. Tell you what, we need to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk more about cold dry hopping. If you're listening live, stay tuned uh, because it's like five-second break. Uh, and if you're listening on the podcast, well, listen to our fine sponsors. We'll be back right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking about uh, dry, cold dry hopping with Scott Janish, who is uh, pr pretty much becoming a god of hop information on the web. All right, so we're talking about... Uh, uh, cold dry hopping. Uh, why not colder than 40 degrees Fahrenheit? Um, you know, I guess, you know, I've never really, most of the papers don't ever even test below 38 degrees. I, I guess they just kind of figure that's around where, you know, you're, you're keeping your beer cold. And so that's just where they, you know, stop most of the testing. Really? Um, See, what they should do is ask, you know, cause we, you know, we crash everything down, you know, below 32 you know, around 30, 31, uh, before we package. And so my thought on cold dry hopping was, well, let's 
go ahead and crash all the way down, do our dry hopping, get harvest our yeast, do our dry hopping, and yeah. uh, you know carbonate and be ready to Backed go. Up. Yeah, and have we would tried, be. Have you tried it at that at that low low of a temperature? I uh, we've tried it, <laughs> and it is uh, not gone to centrifuge yet. But I told him, uh, I, I just texted uh, my guy to bring me a sample so I can taste it right now. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Yeah, but, uh, that a lot of times when we're, if I do like, uh, so we'll, I'll do a lot of like, not really test batches, but, you know, we, we have a, a 10 barrel um, brew house and, you know, uh, 20 and 10 barrel fermenters. Uh-huh. A lot of times I'll steal like five gallons. We, all of our uh, homebrew equipment's at the brewery. And so we'll steal five gallons off the tank to, to do some like, you know, little test batches or whatever before we dry hop to try different hops or, or whatever mm-hmm. the case. Um, and whenever I've tried to dry hop in our cold room, so, you know, around 40 degrees or a little less, I do think like I'll have to agitate those more than I would if they're a little warmer, almost that, that too cold. It, it seems like they just, the hops are encouraged to drop a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the only thing. If, if I was to go a little even colder than what we're doing now, I think I would consider um, agitating them more, whether that's right. you know, just baking it. And if you're dry hopping in a keg or, or something as a home brewer, there's not really a concern if it's under pressure. You know, you can just kind of pick up that keg and swirl Shake it, it. around. Yeah. <laughs> Turn it upside down. Yeah, we're, we're uh, recirculating, pump recirculating uh, when we dry hop. Um, so we've, we've... Long duration or is it like a 20-minute thing? Uh, we go for, you know, full turn of the tank, which is about three hours. Okay. Um, I I've, I've heard that you don't want to go more than four hours. You know, I don't know. I've heard all sorts of things, but that may be at warmer temperatures at colder temperatures. You might need to recirculate longer or less hard to say. Um, but you know, when we started, um, the heretic at that time, I was of the mind that, uh, you know, with hoppy beers, dry hopping, you split it into like two, two doses mm-hmm. and you set it like three days apart and your total time was about a week. And then I was like, well, let's do three doses, like two days apart and it's a week. And then I went to, um, with all the, the stuff that uh, came out about it, I, I went to... Um, Oh, it sounds like my beer is, is coming now. Uh, I went to, uh, um, you know, like three doses, um, uh, you know, one day, one day apart. So it was a total of three days. And then um, we went to um, uh, just everything going in the, in the tank and recirculating it. That's a, it it's interesting on the, okay. on the research. That's, that's the one thing that we're talking to brewers. It seems like there's the most split on um, those that are recirking or those that are just kind of you know, burping from the bottom of the, uh, of the cone. One. All right. So this beer I've been drinking now I've got a cold dry hop version. It's come out cross biscuity and less hoppy. It's missing hops. And this is the Yakima classic cascade. And this was done warm. That seems fine. All right. So <laughs> interrupting the show. Yeah, we're live. We're live doing the show with Scott Janish from uh, scottjanish.com. Yeah. Um, 
I think you are encouraging us to do a lot more testing and uh, experimentation. So uh, one of the things we do is in the Whirlpool, we try and select some hops uh, at a cool Whirlpool of like 175 uh, hops that will produce a lot more linalool and geraniol. Uh, and the, the thought being we'll get more biotransformation during. So here's the, here's the thing that I don't think anyone really has the answer to, and maybe you don't either, but this makes perfect sense to me. For the longest time, people are talking about throwing in dry hops, you know, when fermentation kicks off, you know, X days into fermentation, you know, while fermentation's raging, throw in your dry hops. Mm -hmm. In the side-by-side tests that I did on that, I got a a tremendous bitterness that in triangle tests, nobody liked. And I was like, well, yeah, because you're exposing all this hot matter to, you know, for a long time, it's being stirred up. It's like dry hopping for an entire week and stirring it up. And that's not good. What is it that biotransformation is supposed to do? It's supposed to convert these certain compounds via, you know, certain yeast uh, pathways into other compounds. Well, if I throw those hops in the whirlpool, those compounds are transferring to into the wort and are carried over into fermentation. They're not gone. Why can't I just, if I'm looking for biotransformation, why can't I add those hops in the whirlpool and then not have the vegetable matter into, into the beer. And I don't, I avoid that weird, nasty bitterness and I get biotransformation after all. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's kind of how I look at it too. And I think, um, you know, most of the research that looks at, you know, there's a couple different ways you get biotransformation, but the one that, you know, we know that Saccharomyces ale strain is actually doing is, you know, some of the, you know, geraniol conversions, you know, beta citronella, for example. And that's happening. Um, that's been tested within the first couple of days of fermentation. So, you know, if you're cooling your whirlpool down, I believe um, one paper was looking at about around 180 is where you kind of have the most retention of, of some of these fruitier compounds that you're after in a, in a hoppy beer. Uh-huh. If you're doing that around 180, you should be retaining some of those in the whirlpool and, and, and they should be going into your fermenter. And, and that's, those are the, the compounds that are likely biotransfer, biotransfer, um, <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, dry so biotransformated. Yeah. So if you're dry hopping like day five, there's still active fermentation, but I think, you know, that the time is coming right. on or when that was going to be converted. And so just like you said, I think you're, you're probably just adding more, you know, green vegetal material mm-hmm. uh, to the beer. And, and you know, I, I say this all the time, but my biggest complaint with, you know, hazy IPAs is a lot of times they're just, they, they can come across really um, astringent and green. Yes. Um, very, very vegetal. Yes. Um, and, and I think that has a lot to do um, with just not enough hot side hopping in a lot of these beers. Um, you mm-hmm. kind of need to, you, 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 not just the IBUs from, from the hot side, but you need to mix in as much, you know, complex compounds as you can mm-hmm. um, to sort of balance that because, you know, heavy, heavy dry hopping does more than just, you know, add, you know, fruity compounds, but you're adding a lot more green, you know, polyphenol like compounds. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of where, you know, the shorter durations and um, cooler temperatures come into play where, you know, 
polyphenols, for example, are, you know, in, in studies where they look at, you know, if you increase the polyphenol content, what does that do to, to the beer and tasting panels, um, you know, rated as being more stringent and, and harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, polyphenols typically are peaking during a dry hop around days like um, three. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and the warmer you dry hop, the more polyphenol pickup you're going to get. Um, and so that's, that's another sort of, uh, you know, when I guess score one for the column of a, of a short or shorter, cooler dry hop is a little less polyphenol. Mm-hmm. Pickup. Um, and the same goes for, uh, you know, myrcene is, is a hydrocarbon, but that's, that's another one that um, just actually last year, there was a paper that, that came out um, that tested that at warmer temperatures and the warmer you're dry hopping a beer, the more um, of myrcene you're getting into the beer, which can actually mask some of those fruitier flavors. Cause myrcene is, you know, the, one of the highest compounds in, of, of hops, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the total oil, it's, it's up there um, mm-hmm. as the highest. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that's, that's a green kind of resinous character that can get in the way of some of the fruitier compounds. And this is especially true for hazy IPAs. Um, one of the papers that was actually looked at, um, studied a bunch of commercial hazy IPAs, found that the the viscous nature of the beer so you know they're they're higher beta glucan they're they're higher protein um they're actually able to retain some of these otherwise more volatile hydrocarbons mm-hmm. so there you just think of it being that you know it's thick and so it's not getting out of the solution as well um and this is especially true if you're doing post-fermentation dry hopping where mm-hmm. there's no active co2 that would push those volatile no, compounds no scrubbing yeah so a West Coast IPA is going to have a lot less myrcene than a New England IPA. If you're trying to keep that down a little bit to have more of an intense fruit forward tropical citrus thing, um, it makes sense to experiment with um, cooler dry hop temperatures because that's going to give you less polyphenols as well as less myrcene. And you're still retaining the, you know, the thiols and monoterpene alcohols that you're, that mm-hmm. you're after. Well, in, in your, in your blog post, uh, I mean, it's almost offensive to call it a blog post. It's more of an article. In the article you wrote, um, you mentioned uh, you know the effect on hop creep and head retention, and how, how is that affected by cold dry hopping versus warm dry hopping? Yeah, head head retention is um, the papers I looked at. I found that the longer that the hops were in contact with the beer, so more days that they were sitting um, in the beer, the 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 head retention went down so the longer contact time the worse the head retention Hmm. um and then separate papers found that um, you know alpha acids can contribute to um you know a more stable head and it's actually more efficient when they were dosing alpha acids into beer at cooler temperatures than warmer at keeping um um, the head around longer so um, again, cooling, cooling temperature, cooler temperatures might um, help with head retention. It might help keep those fruitier flavors intact. Mm-hmm. Um, what about hop creep? I think a hop creep was mentioned in that article as well. Yeah. Um, hop creep's an interesting one. Cause I guess that, you know, that's been around, you know, they're, they're finding way back when they're uh, putting hops in, in casks, they would find hop creep and then mm-hmm. it just kind of disappeared. I think it was um, maybe a little bit of, um, how brewers are using hops now and maybe how uh, hop suppliers are, you know, how they're being pelletized, you know, trying to keep temperatures down during the process, mm-hmm. um, it, which may be um, keeping some of these enzymes alive in the hops. So that's, 
you know, hop creep is essentially, I think it's easy to think about if you think, you know, hazy IPAs have a lot of dextrins, which are unfermentable sugars and hops themselves, um, they found have enzymes that are breaking down these um, dextrins into fermentable sugars. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you don't have yeast in your beer or you say you crashed it out and there's, there's always a little yeast in there. And if it starts fermenting those now freed up sugars, it could be, you know, an unhealthy fermentation that could, you know, lead to diacetyl. Um, And so what, what recent papers have found is if, if you're dry hopping cooler, you're going to have, you know, the enzymes are less active. And if you're doing shorter durations, you're also getting um, less of the, the impact. So shorter, um, durations and colder temperatures might help with you know less um, hop creep happening, less um, the hops from the, the or the enzymes from the hops actually you know breaking down sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's you know as a homebrewer, I don't think you really need to worry about hop creep. At least I I never did, especially if you're you know if you're kegging these beers and you're keeping them cold. I don't think you're going to see much of an impact. But you know maybe it's right. more important for um, you know, professional brewers that have cans that might be sitting warm. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the whole difference between co- commercial and homebrew, you know, you, you're struggling because you've got a package of product that goes, sits warm on a shelf somewhere, you know, cold if you're lucky. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, 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 the vast majority of consumers are not somebody who's homebrewed, not somebody who's familiar with brewing, not, you know, you really have to make sure that it's perfect for, you know, the average, average person, you know, hop, you know, we, we think a lot about, you know, people that are geeky about craft beer and people who are, you know, home brewers and, you know, we make some assumptions, but, oh my God, you know, that's, that's not the case in commercial. And so in homebrew, you're, you're, you're so free to do so much. I wish I could go back to a much <laughs> smaller scale and not, and not, and not sell beer. Uh, yeah, but I mean, see, yeah, that's how I, it goes. I think uh, earlier saying you think, um, you know, homebrewers have an advantage and I think they do in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but the one area I think I would, I would disagree on that is, is with oxygen. Um, mm-hmm. I think as a professional brewer, it's so much easier to control actually professional. I always think that's weird too, is if you open a brewery, all of a sudden you're, you're a professional, a pro. <laughs> 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 no other sport can you just name yourself a pro i tell people i'm still a home brewer i just brew bigger batches and i have a license to sell it you know it's i haven't really it doesn't feel any change yeah 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 it's 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 the same thing oh i'm not sure i agree with you on oxygen because um you're talking about occluding oxygen from your process yeah, it's just, you know, it, it depends on your equipment mainly, but yeah. know, as, as a home brewer, let, you know, let's say I, we have like a little, like a dry hop port that we, mm-hmm. dry hop, um, it's called a dry hopper. I think really it's essentially another vessel that sits on top of your tank that's attached uh-huh. to a four inch valve. Right. And you, you load your hops, you, you purge it with CO2 yeah, and then you open the port and, you know, uh, let the hops in that way. Exactly. Exactly. It's a closed, it's a closed way to do it. Um, but you know, a lot of brewers, a lot of, um, pro brewers are just, you know, spraying CO2 through their spray ball and just opening up that four inch mm-hmm. hop and, and dumping right. them in. And that's, I can have John Blickman make this for home brewers. <laughs> you know, it'll probably be ready next week. Go, go to Blickman engineering.com to, to, to check it out today. <laughs> 
he should because I, I think that's right. You know, because if you're opening up, um, you know, say you have a 20 barrel tank and you're opening up a, a four inch port and you're dumping in those hops, you have, you know, 600 plus gallons of beer exposed mm-hmm. to this, mm-hmm. you know, whatever oxygen air is oxygen right around that port. Well, if you're fermenting in a bucket and you open up that bucket and dump in the hops, well, you have more exposure to oxygen and you have mm-hmm. less beer to dilute it, if that makes sense. So I think that's the one of the biggest areas. <sighs> I would I would say one thing though um, yeah. about you know dry hopping at warmer temperatures while fermentation is still there's quite a bit of yeast and maybe at the very tail end of fermentation um, you know active yeast will take up oxygen very quickly mm-hmm. so you know that may be less of an issue you know when you're warm dry hopping then yeah if you if you time it right. Yeah, and there's still mm-hmm. a little bit of activity going on. And, and you know, some brewers even add a little bit of sugar with their last dry hop just to, you know, encourage a little quick refermentation, just, just yeah. rocks. Um, huh. That's not something I've ever really done. I guess, you know, if, if I was homebrewing uh, these same beers that we're doing at, at Sapwood now, I would probably do uh, two doses. Like you were saying, you, you, you break up most of your dry hops into, you know, separate charges. And, and, and there's some research that shows you get better extraction efficiency in smaller and smaller charges. So that mm-hmm. um, makes sense. And then, um, so I would probably dry hop with like a day or two left in, in fermentation for part of it. And then I would try to dry hop in a keg or, or something that I can purge post fermentation. Meta by sulfite. If I was a home brewer, mm-hmm. I, I would point towards uh, Marshall's experiments over at brewlosophy where they're adding, you know, was a 0.2 grams or something in some mm-hmm. of their, uh, hoppy beers and you can not only i mean they taste the difference but the the you can just see the oxidation difference in, in the two beers mm. so I, right. you know I, that's so that you know huge advantage to home brewers in terms of you know doing weird fun stuff mm-hmm. getting because mm-hmm. you don't need 500 pounds of a weird fruit or something but <laughs> but but oxygen is is the one that i it, that i've even tasted in a lot of home brewers too that mm-hmm. i just think is the hardest thing to control well, I'd say it is one of the most common flaws in a lot of homebrewed beers is, yeah. is an oxidation problem, right? Yeah, I, would, I, I would think that it could be controlled, but people don't. Yeah. I think that's, that's maybe the, the biggest issue. All right, we need to take another short little break. Uh, if you're listening live, stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. To the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking with Scott Janish, uh, famous uh, author from the uh, the new IPA book uh, that everybody has. And if you don't have it, you should be buying it. Um, I think I bought mine off of Amazon. Yeah, it's the only uh, place you you can get it. <laughs> and it was it was relatively cheap. Came came 
quite quick, and it's a good read when you're locked away pandemic-wise. If you're interested in hoppy beers, I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend uh, our new sponsor, uh, Brew Chatter. These guys are up in uh, Sparks, Nevada, which is right next to Reno. You can call it Reno, but technically it's Sparks. Uh, great folks. They got a beautiful shop with uh, tons of really fresh ingredients. They even have a little bar in there where they have uh, always great beers. You go in, you can enjoy a pint while you're shopping for your homebrew gear. They have an online presence as well, brewchatter.com. Check them out. Good people, uh, great ingredients, uh, great knowledge, uh, really fun guys, uh, well worth checking out, brewchatter.com. All right, so we're talking about cold dry hopping. One question I had for you is, would you... Cold, would you determine cold dry hopping is appropriate on certain styles and not others? For example, um, you know, would you cold dry hop a, a continental lager? Uh, would you dry hop a, a, a juicy beer? Would you dry hop a you know more piney West Coast beer, or would you change your temperatures based off of what kind of beer you are trying to make? I, that's a good question. I guess I would, um, I mean, if I was after more of a, a green resinous thing, I, I would consider doing it a little warmer. Um, but, but usually you're, you know, if you're getting full extraction of the hop at 58 or, you know, 40 degrees, you're getting a pretty good pro, profile specific, you know, um, send, you know, taste or aroma or whatever after from a hop, if you're getting full extraction at, at the lower temperatures, it just seems um, like I would just keep doing that. I don't know if I would change it for certain styles. Um, hmm. I'm actually experimenting now with, uh, I got a, um, a there's a, a paper that came out about a lager strain. So Tum 35 is, is the strain. Um, Tum 34 is the 3470 that, that pretty much everyone uses. And this mm-hmm. Tum 35 was one that was um, really popular, I believe in like the late forties and then just kind of disappeared and they just found it again, frozen on something. I'm not sure how that worked. Um, and wrote a paper on it and they, they sent me a, a little sample from, from Germany to, to test out. Um, and why well, I'm excited about it cause it's a low sulfur producing, uh, lager strain. So that I think that sulfur thing gets for me anyways, gets in the way of, of hops mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's research that shows the the cooler you're you're fermenting, you might actually retain more hop compounds, particularly thiols. Mm. And so I, I'm I'm testing out like a um, the, the fermenting at 52 with it with this strain, and just trying to really push um, some of the hop thiols in like an Indian pale lager essentially. So mm-hmm. um, in that case, yeah, I'm I'm trying to to dry hop and ferment cool all for the purposes of of retaining more of the fruitier compounds but mm-hmm. so we'll see how that goes i'll probably keg it in about a week well it's interesting if you're trying to make a lager and you're trying to retain more fruity compounds i mean traditionally uh you know lagers you didn't want any fruity compounds you want it all to be more herbal floral right yeah yeah and and, and that you know is a can clash a little bit with some of the you know um New England style hops, I think a little bit, you're, you're mm. going more on that citrus tropical side, or at least I am trying to do that. And that's what we've found consumers like too. you give them, you give them, a, you give them a sweet beer that's really tropical and citrusy. And it usually goes over pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I like a lot of these hoppy beers to finish um, sweeter too. So I don't, you know, I don't want, you know, this lager strain to, to ferment out below. Um, you know, honestly, like 1020 is kind of a sweet spot for a lot of uh, final gravities for hoppy beers for us. Wow. Um, that's, you know, it's not good for the calorie intake, but it's, it, I think it, 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 <laughs> offset some of the harsh harshness you can get a little more you gotta put up with the winners that you guys have here in california we go everything's gotta be you know one play-doh maybe two max for for finishing gravities you know we don't uh you know somebody was asking me the other day they're just like well what is your you know juicier than now beer you know finish at and i'm just like they're like it must be you know 10 24 10 30 i'm like no it's probably below 10 10 they're like no it isn't <laughs> i it's, pulled up the the brew sheet i'm like yeah it's like uh you know 10 6 10 8 yeah, um, some, some yeast strains just seem to do a better job that at, at yeah. faking their final gravity too you whether it's like right or, or what that's that it still has like a, a full soft uh mouthfeel but it, it finishes drier mm-hmm. well and i think you know the, the for us uh especially west coast you know it's 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 got to be a drier drier overall attenuation but yeah we get full mouthfeel we get you know the sweetness all that stuff so you know it just depends um depends on you know that's the beauty of beer you can you really should make you know whatever thing it is that people want to drink we we actually today uh um we had a, a pale ale finish at uh 10 15 and we shot um 50 pounds of maltodextrin in there to, to bring it up a little bit <laughs> you know and uh, that post post firm doctoring of beers is, is something i don't think a lot of people do or consider but it's um, can be pretty well, beneficial if you know what you're after anyways right uh, you know, one of my favorite additions is lactose, you know, a little more sweeter than uh, maltodextrin, just a little more, you know, oomph. Uh, I think, uh, you know, that in itself, uh, can be a real, a real boon to getting that balance. Cause like you're saying, people like sweet and fruity. I mean, that's, you know, I guess it's, uh, I'm old. I don't know if you know this. Uh, by my appearance because I look very youthful. Yeah. However, I'm old. And, uh, you know, the, the kids these days that we've raised, um, you know, we raised them on a lot of gummy worms and, <laughs> you know, other candies. Which, so make uh, your beer taste like that, right? So we're making our beer taste like that. Exactly. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly the point. Um, Mike actually, uh, he, he made me do a... Uh, uh, dollar store challenge where we had to go to the dollar store and uh he did like a youtube video of it where we had to we had ten dollars each and we had to make a variant of five gallons of beer but we we had to buy the ingredients at the dollar store and, nice and that's pretty nice. much what we did is we just did make, make candy beers uh, one of my daughters um so the do- dollar store but especially when we go to uh like england it's the pound store when we go to uh, somewhere in Europe, it's the Euro store. And when we go to Japan, it's like the 100 yen store. And so <laughs> every country we've been to, she's gone to uh, the, the equivalent dollar store 
And <laughs> it's just so cool that that, that exists around the world. It's not and, just and a U.S. thing. And it's amazing what you can get for a dollar. Yeah, exactly. I, I haven't been in one in so long. Like, I, I need to actually just, like, make this part of my uh, weekly trip. <laughs> All right. Uh, imagine what you could build, what brewery you could build from the – you need to – here's the challenge. Build a brewery from scratch from the dollar store. That would that would be something. Uh, we got to don't don't put a whole bunch of uh, jumbo or Mister Freezy um, things in in a Berliner. <laughs> Didn't I work. Lost, eh? I lost the challenge. Yeah, lost. What was the winning uh, ingredient? Uh, let's see. Mike did mango juice and uh, like a, a fake. There was like a vanilla extract type thing that smelled. Oh like come on, he he. He went the easy route. Yeah, oh, he, he swept me. We, oh, used, well. we used untapped as the uh, determined the winner. Ah, damn it. Well, there you go. Uh, Zachary asks, is there a risk for hop creep if you're dry hopping at very cold temperature? I would imagine it wouldn't be fully shelf stable after a cold dry hop. Uh, I, I mean, if you're, if you're dry hopping cooler, I think your, your risk of hop creep goes down. Um, so I think you'd be, you'd be safer in, in that way. Okay. Um, are there hops that favor cold dry hopping versus warm dry hopping? Is there some hops that you, that you really think are advantageous at one temperature or the other? Um, no, not that really come, comes to mind, I guess. Um, I guess this is a, a way to avoid the question a little bit, but, I, there's a, a recent paper that I was just reading that um, was looking at, uh, you know, other impacts that um, other variables a hop has and how well it, it, it extracts. Um, and they found that the higher the alpha acid of, of a hop, the poorer it extracted, almost like the, the alpha acid itself was, was making it more difficult to get those um, compounds out of the, uh, out of the hop pellet. Uh-huh. And so, you know, potentially higher alpha maybe um, oh. could, could have, you know, a warmer, a warmer temperature. Um, higher alpha hops usually have fewer polyphenols. Um, uh-huh. And so if you have fewer polyphenols and you're going a little warmer, you might be safe in that regard too. Is um, it few, fewer polyphenols per alpha acid unit or is it fewer polyphenols per weight of hops? It's more of a, uh, I think it was a German uh, a study of German hops where they just essentially found a, a high correlation between high alpha and low polyphenol and, and the low poly, low alpha acid hops had higher polyphenols on average. So it, it hmm. could, I'm sure there's outliers with certain varieties, but that's just mm-hmm. kind of one of the only um, sources that I've seen um, mm-hmm. that looked at it like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually, I actually emailed this author. I believe he was in, in Germany because what, what struck me with that is, you know, a lot of the, you know, we, I don't know if you use cryo hops at all, um, in your dry hops. We haven't been, I mean, we, we considered it as just, you know, the, the costs and the change to our process. Every process change we, we do, we have to test first. And, yeah. you know, a lot of it is, Hey, yeah, your next year's crop, we'll convert it for you. You know, you'll have half as much and it'll all be cryo. <laughs> We're like, Hey, wait, wait, hold on. We need to test first. So, That's kind of the fun part of being that, like, uh, we're still pretty small that would, you know, 
batch to batch. It really doesn't matter. We hardly ever make in the same beers more than three or four times. So mm-hmm. we, we can kind of experiment on the fly a little more, but um, we use cryo quite a bit, um, mm-hmm. almost only on, on dry hopping though. And we don't use them at half the rate. Um, I haven't found that to really be the mm-hmm. case. Um, that's more of a hot side thing. I think. What, what, what rate are you using it? More um, like just, a- just as if it were a, a, a T90 pellet. So most of our IPAs are getting uh, dry hopped about 4.4 pounds a barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it's probably around 10 ounces or so, I think, for, right. for homebrewers. Um, but, so that's quite a bit. Yeah, it's it, quite a bit. Um, but we, what I was interested in is like, well, okay, if you're getting less extraction with higher alpha acid hops, you know, that's the whole point of, of cryo is they're like twice as much alpha mm-hmm. acid. Mm-hmm. So I, I emailed the author. I was like, so what's your opinion on, on cryo? Like, are we getting even fewer, you know, there's a lot more oils in there, but are we having a hard time right. getting them out? Because um, even at, you know, at, at the full rate, so, you know, whether it's like some of my favorite beers are taking, you know, doing all mosaic, doing half of it in cryo and half of it in normal pellet. You just build uh-huh. in a little complexity there that right. I really, really enjoy. Um, and so he, he actually responded and he, and he was cool. And he was just like, you know, I, something I might want to test down the road, but he thinks that, you know, the higher alpha cryos might, might benefit from um, more either recirculation or multiple um, burps in the tank mm-hmm. to try to get more of the extraction. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's, uh, you know, talk going around about kind of the maximum dry hops that, are uh usable that past a certain point you're just throwing hops in and not getting anything out yeah it's kind of like if you you know you jump into a lake you're wet you're not going to get any wetter if wetter. you stay in longer right, right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, but you know I've, I've looked at those studies and, and it's interesting and the one that 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 comes to mind i think they used i think it was a shell thomas shell hammer study and he did mm-hmm. um, cascade hops um, and when they used them in, in higher amounts, I don't remember the exact amounts, um, it, you started to lose this, you know, citrusy uh, thing from, from Cascade and it started to get a little more herbal and mm-hmm. aggressive, mm-hmm. Um, which kind of makes sense if you're just throwing more and more vegetal material in the beer, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change right. it a little bit. Right. Um, and I, I don't remember what that saturation point was, but it was pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found, you know... At, at the brewery, if we were to dry hop at those amounts, I don't think we'd get the same, the same results. So maybe it's more of a variety specific. Yeah, it's hard to say. We're, we're over what that, that uh, uh, limit was. So uh, I, I don't know that we want to go lower, but you know, if, we, if we could go just a tiny bit lower, it saves an amazing amount of, of hops. All right. Uh, our last short, quick break. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. Uh, we're talking with uh, Scott Janish, uh, scottjanish.com, and uh, the Sapwood Cellars out in Maryland. Next time I'm out in Maryland, I got to stop by. You definitely should. We should, we should brew something. I think so. I think it'd be blast. I like you. I like your information. 
we should we should get together. Let's see. Um, couple more questions. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Richard asks, "What temp should you cold dry hop?" I know you said forty to fifty-eight, but you know. Yeah, I, I'm just on. You know, I don't have like uh, you know with a lot of this stuff, the the research just kind of points for things to try. I mean, I don't have like the the best way or best best method to do any of this, but uh, I can just tell you what. Don't we do. don't lie to us and hide your best method. <laughs> uh, we do it everything at fifty. We start at fifty-eight. So we'll start our first dose at 58. Um, a lot of times if it's a double IPA and we're doing, um, you know, two rounds of dry hopping, we'll do um, a burp every day for two or three days. And then I'll drop the tank another four or five degrees. And that kind of helps. I want to get that first dose out. And so drop that uh, tank five degrees. And I'm, I'm hoping that it encourages some, the, the hops to kind of settle out in the cone and then I can drop them before adding the next dose. So that mm-hmm. means the, the second dose of hops is usually around 54 degrees. Okay. Um, and you don't do any recirculation. We we've only tried it once. Mm-hmm. Um, we it didn't seem to, you know, we need to do something like that over and over again. I, I'm mm-hmm. worried about with our pump, you know, um, oxygen kind of getting in. Right. During during the recirc, mm-hmm. um, but we, we normally just do blast through the bottom of the cone. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, 20, 25 PSI, depending on how big the tank is, you sometimes have to increase it a little bit. Now, are you worried like about blast. blasting CO2 through the bottom of the cone? And then, you know, because you got to bleed that off, uh, ending up, you know, burping off, uh, too much of the uh, aromatic compounds. Because that's how we used to do it as well. And, and we worried that we were, you can smell a lot of hops coming out. Coming out. And so we're, we're always doing this with the tank under, under pressure. Um, and we're always trying to keep the, the head pressure on the beer higher than any sort of carbonation in the beer. Mm, so okay. the, the idea is you're sort of. You're just doing a tiny burp kind of thing. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll, you know, and I don't, we're not too concerned if the, we'll eventually have to bleed the tank down a little bit because, you know, we'll carving it might get up to like 15 PSI or something. And then we'll, we'll bleed it down to like 10 or whatever. So right. we'll, we'll have to bleed off a little bit. Um, but I, I'm not too concerned with a lot of, of head pressure in there. And so if anything builds up from, from the burps, it's not too much of a concern, mm-hmm. but I am always worried about losing volatiles. And that's why I'm a big fan of most post fermentation dry hopping being done with, um, head pressure on. Okay. Uh, the always gorgeous, uh, Bevo is, uh, monitoring the, uh, comments on our, our live, uh, zoom here on Facebook. And she is, uh, send those over to me. And she says, uh, let's see. Gino <coughs> is asking, what is the typical final gravity for hazy IPA and West Coast-ish IPA at Sapwood and at Heretic. Oh. Want us to compare sizes here. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> you know what? We've, we've done, we've done a, a whopping total of one West Coast IPA in, in, uh-huh. in two years. And honestly, it looked more like a hazy IPA when we're all said and done. So we, we didn't do a very good job of clearing it up and um, I, I would assume that beer was probably around a 10, 12, 10, 15 final. Oh, yeah. uh, but most of our pale ales are around 10, 18, 10, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and our double IPAs are probably 1020 to 1025. Well, there's nothing wrong with uh, higher, higher finishing gravity or lower finishing gravity. What matters is that you fully attenuated the beer, that you have fully fermented the beer. And if you have, um, the finishing gravity is the finishing gravity. And it, right. it, it, it is made up of a lot of things that add body or, uh, you know, uh, character to the beer. It, it does not mean that it, it's somehow unfinished. Now, there are unfinished beers where you mash at a, you know, a, a temperature for high fermentability, you added dextrose, you did all this stuff, and you ended up at 1030. That's probably a poorly fermented beer. <clears throat> so what uh, Scott and I are talking about are kind of two different things. He's targeting more of, uh, you know, the residual dextrins that are not sweet, that he's fully fermented the beer out. Um, you know, what we do here at Heretic on the West Coast, he's East Coast or West Coast. The West Coast, you got to master the ultra dry, um, crisp, uh, poppy IPA. And so, you know, we'll do a double IPA like our evil cousin and that'll finish out around you know, 10.06, 10.08, you know, uh, Play-Doh and a half, two Play-Doh. At one point, we got down to one Play-Doh, and I, I, I bumped it back up to, you know, Play-Doh and a half, two Play-Doh. Uh, but a lot of our um, hazies, you know, we'll try and get, you know, two Play-Doh, maybe three Play-Doh, so 10.08, 10.12, um, just depends. And then, um, again, it, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but the most important thing is regardless of what your finishing gravity is, finishing gravity is not, it did show on this just recently, that does not determine sweetness. That does not determine a lot of things. It determines the finishing gravity. <laughs> uh, so most important thing is that you're fully fermenting. Let's see here. Uh, Tom asks, do one ounce per five gallons on three days dry hops? Oh, I do, I do one ounce per five gallon for three days dry hopping. What would you change? This is galaxy hops at 60 degrees uh, uh, fermentation. That's one uh, ounce total in five gallons? It sounds like he's doing one ounce three times. On, okay. Oh, or on the, it may be on the third day or it may be, I don't know. <laughs> Well, yeah. All right, one ounce on five gallons, three days in a row dry hopping. One ounce, three days in a row. I think that the, if you are adding on multiple days as a, on the homebrew scale, you just have to have a good way, especially if you're doing that post-firm, kind of like what I was right, worried about oxygen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would, hopefully you're doing that in a closed manner or you have a way mm -hmm. to purge the, the headspace of it. Um, but, but depending on the beer and what you're after, um, three total ounces is, is fairly low. I would think for a dry hop beer. Um, mm -hmm. I think I would usually I'm around, um, at least five total for five, five gallons, um, and, and going closer to, to 10 for, for double IPAs, Woo! The higher, the higher gravities really seem to be able to, or the higher yeah. alcohol really seem to help. Um, you can throw more hops at a, a bigger beer. Well, and also I think, you know, a lot of the, the, any of the residuals seem to mask some of the hop character, you know, sugars, you know, all this stuff, um, uh, and crystal malts, especially masks that hop character. And it'd be nice to uh, be able to, uh, get rid of that. 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left. Uh, Cole Melby, your uh, local homebrew shop is an invaluable source for help with hop choice and dry hop timing or any homebrew questions in general. I personally use brew chatter and they're awesome to work with. They are. Those guys are amazing. They run a great homebrew shop. Uh, Ricky asks, what is your favorite Whirlpool hops besides Idaho 7? <laughs> oh, should we save that for the next, the next show? That's kind of the, the topic conversation here. Right, right. Ricky, you're just going to have to listen in uh, to the next show, which is coming in uh, just a minute. We actually have run long on this one. Uh, Julius asks, what's your experiences with biotransformation in Quebec? Thinking uh, homebrew, Imperial, A37, POG, etc. Yeah, I, I, funny, I get asked that quite a bit, and I don't have a great answer for people. I, I've used, that, used some of those strains only a handful of times, um, and I haven't always loved the, the, the mix of the fermentation profile of those beers with hops. To me, they, it can clash a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I I just haven't given all the strains um, you know a good a good run to see what I really like or don't like about them, um, right. and then there really hasn't been any papers that I've seen specifically on those and their ability to bio uh, convert compounds because to do that mm-hmm. they have to be producers of of certain enzymes that can either free uh, compounds or convert compounds and um, to my knowledge I just haven't been tested yet. That's for biotransfoglomeration. Yes. I think it's a made-up word, yeah. <laughs> well, for more made-up words, make sure to check out uh, my fine sponsor, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. John Blickman, he is innovating your brew day and making uh, great brew equipment that uh, you should check out. I, you don't have to spend any money, but I would urge you to go to BlickmanEngineering.com peruse the amazing things and the and the homebrew uh uh dry hop charger thing that uh, scott talked about it's already it's already made it's already uh patented and ready to go if i know john blickman and uh email him at feedback at blickmanengineering.com and tell dear john how much uh i love him that he has supported the show for so long he's uh, a great friend of the show uh, and our best wishes go out to John Palmer and his family. Uh, they're experiencing a loss of uh, his father. So that's why he can't be with us. He would love to be with us, but he's got a lot to deal with right now. So uh, Scott and I are holding down the fort. That's amazing. All right. Uh, that's it for this episode. If you're listening live, stay tuned. In like two seconds we're going to be live again with the next episode with scott and we're going to talk about uh, uh survivables which i think is is a cool thing to talk about in hops uh so until then brew strong everyone 